If you ha haven't been able to pull up Genesis chapter 14 or in your, in your Bible or in your device, then uh, you can read along with me on the screen. Then this Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Eleazar, Kirolamer, king of Elam, and title king of Goam, went off to war to fight Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adamah, Shinaber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. The second group of kings, the attacked, came together at the Valley of Siddim, that is the Salt Sea. They had been under the thumb of Ketalamer for 12 years. In the 13th year, they revolted. In the 14th year, Ketalamer and the kings allied with him set out and defeated the Rephim and Ashtaroth, Karaim, and Zuzim and Ham, the Imam and Sheva and Kerathim, and the Horites in the hill country of Seir, as far as El Paran, the far edge of the desert. I started to have one of the youngsters read this, so I wouldn't be stumbling over these names. <laughs> And if it was a youngster, you would probably be more forgiving. On their way back, they stopped at Enmishpat, that is Kadesh, and conquered the whole region of the Amalekites as well as that of the Amor uh, Amorites who lived in Hazan Tamar. That's when the king of Sodom marched out with the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adamah, the king of Zeboam, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. They drew up in battle formation against the enemies in the valley of Siddim, against Ketalamor, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goam, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariach, king of Elasia. Four kings against five. The valley of Siddim was full of tar pits. When the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, they fell into tar pits, but the rest escaped into the mountains. The four kings captured all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah, all their food and equipment, and went on their way. They captured Lot, Abram's nephew, who was living in Sodom at that time. 
taking everything he owned with him. A fugitive came and reported to Abram, the Hebrew. Abram was living in the Oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eschol and Anar. They were allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his nephew had been taken prisoner, he lined up his trained servants, all of them, born in his household, there were 318 men of them. They chased after the captors all the way to Dan. Abram and his men split into small groups and attacked by night. They chased them as far as Hoabah, just north of Damascus. They recovered all the plunder along with nephew Lot and his possessions, including the women and the people. Not that it's part of my message, but when I read this scripture over and over again, I says, I wonder, why did they say they recovered the women and the people? But not just the people, but if there's any Bible scholars out there, you can instruct me later. So in this story, somewhat like the times that we live in, there are groups of people that are being oppressed, subjugated by a more powerful set of people, all for personal gain. When Jesus announced his mission, he quoted Isaiah 61. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that's found in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. Jesus acknowledged his purpose is to rescue those who cannot save themselves we have a choice. We can either willingly intercede on behalf of others or passively wait until it comes knocking on your door. But either way, it's unavoidable. The times that we live in, we don't always necessarily see these great armies marching against one another. But in our society, we see the forces of society that march against groups of people or sometimes just even individuals. And the question that needs to come to us as followers of Christ, as disciples of Christ is, what do we do? Do we just stand there and watch? Or do we put ourselves in a position where we do not allow injustices to prevail? 
against others. God has not only called us to emulate Jesus by proclaiming the good news and the liberty, being a facilitator of healing and a liberator, he's designed us to do so. During my sabbatical, I read a book that was extremely impactful for me. Uh, the title of the book was Soul Keeping by John Ortberg. And during my sabbatical, I shared with the elders um, uh, one of the things that I was able to accomplish was I've read more books in these last three months than I've probably read in the last three to four years. But of all of the books that I read, this was the one that struck a chord with me. In the chapter that he entitled, The Soul Needs Blessing, he states, we're wired to bless. Let me read you a portion of that. It says, researchers have actually found what sometimes are called mirror neurons that indicate that we're wired to bless. When we watch another person perform an action, we have neurons that fire just as if ourselves were performing that action. Researchers speculate this allows us to learn by imitation, but also to have empathy for other people. Actually, brain studies are teaching us even more about the soul than that. When we watch another person suffer, a part deep in the brain beyond the temples called the anterior coagulated uh, cortex, ACC, burns with activity. The greater the distress, the brighter the ACC burns. However, activity in another part of the brain uh, the DMFFC, don't even ask me what that stands for. Um, it turns out that they're most likely to actually help someone, not simply when we are suffering, but when we also consider ourselves attached to them. This is what the DMFFC uh, activity indicates. Seeing suffering does not move me to act as if I think of a person as him. Remember the priest and the Levite in the parable of the Good Samaritan? But when I think of that person as part of us, of me, then I'm moved to bless. Jesus may have been speaking quite literally when he said, love your neighbors 
as yourself. The challenge for us as believers of Christ and particularly for us, and I can only speak particularly for here in Pentecostal Tabernacle and particularly for us here in the American church. Um, we are free to worship as we will. But is, are we going to wait until the day comes when perhaps those rights are taken away uh, or when something happens or to us in our individual lives before we feel energized to be called to action. I've been fortunate in my life to always live in a good neighborhood. And when one says a good neighborhood, I don't simply mean, you know, a neighborhood that has nice houses uh, or has nice lawns. That's not what I'm talking about when I define a nice, a good neighborhood. A good neighborhood is measured by the people around you that you, that, that, that are in that neighborhood, people that care for one another. Uh, matter of fact, this morning, uh, one of my neighbors, Emilio, was with me. Emilio, you could just wave your hand. And, <laughs> and it's funny, uh, I was gone for much of July and, um, and even part of the first beginning of August, and when I finally came home, um, my wife told me, Emilio came looking for you. He hadn't seen you. He saw your car just sitting there. He hadn't seen you, and then he said he didn't see. I didn't see Anita, so I'm wondering what, what, what happened to you. And so he actually came knocking on the door looking for me. And yeah, that's a good neighborhood. That's a good neighborhood. That's a good neighborhood. And, that, and, and for me, I, I feel blessed to be in that neighborhood because that's the way I grew up. The neighborhoods that, the, there were two neighborhoods I lived in as a child, and in both of those neighborhoods, that's what people did. Uh, people looked out after one another. God created us to live in community. Our existence in a collective is essential for us to thrive. And the question that I put to each of you is, what's your community? The folks that we uh, visit each year in Honduras, they describe themselves in, uh, with this 
simple statement. We're a network of friends, a family. And so I ask you, you know, who's your network? Who's your community? If you went missing for a while, who's coming looking for you? Who are you going looking for? Is it within you to go look for and hunt for somebody else? And we have all sorts of networks or communities that we can possibly be a part of. Now, we have this one that is in this room. Now, I know many of you. I know your names. I've communicated with you. But there are so many more. I, and when I look around, when I showed up last week and I look around even this week, there are some faces that I do not recognize. So just in a matter of a dozen weeks, there's been enough turnover in this community that people, I don't recognize people and perhaps there are people that when I stood up here may not have even known me because they came in over the last dozen weeks. The, the topic that, the subject that I want to, uh, uh, the title that I want to label my, uh, this message is, I started initially to label it the Battle of the Kings. And then it occurred to me, that's not the right sermon topic. But before I give my sermon topic, first and foremost, I need to uh, do one thing. I need to come down here and ask Mother Green, do you love me? Okay. Because when I give my sermon topic, <laughs> I, may, I may have to do like Jesus did to Peter. Do you love me? <laughs> Before the, I put the period at the end of the sermon title, you may change your mind. <laughs> I'm not worried about Mom Cummings because even though she may object, I know she's going to laugh. <laughs> so instead of the Battle of the Kings, she's already laughing. The title of my sermon is Don't Touch My Booty. <laughs> Oh, I know I lost most of you. I already lost most of you. And you know what? <laughs> Lady Commons probably texting Bishop right now. Before you think that I've lost my mind, Mother, Mother Commons can't even close her mouth. 
before you think I lost my mind and my salvation during my sabbatical, I don't know who partakes of this. This is what's called the pirate's booty. You raise your hand. You like pirate's booty? All right. All right. All right. See? See? All right. I still got one person left in my community. Yeah, that, thank you. Who said that? Who said that? Thank you. Thank you, Sister Jenny. You, you better not open this in church. <laughs> At least not up here. Downstairs. Downstairs. Okay. All right. Here we go. All right. All righty. Mr. Aiden. Okay. Okay. All right. You all can share. Here, this is an empty bag. <laughs> oh, I got more, because that side's feeling some kind of way. Say, oh, yo, oh, oh. You know I'm going to take care of you, CG. All right. All right. Huh? You've never had it? Okay. All right. Okay. All right. All right. No, 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 no. Is there any first-time guests over here? Is there any first-time guests over here? First time you've ever been to PT? Oh, you all raising your hand. Here you go. Here you go. Okay. Here you go. I know you want to raise your hand, but you, you know, I can see it in your face. I can see it in your face. Okay. All right. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> you know, I should have bought more bags, but there were six in this each bag. Okay. Jerry, can you hold on? Thank you. All right. All right. Now, listen. Now that I've hopefully, at least I've woken you up, because earlier in my sermon, I'm saying, these people are going to fall asleep. It's a good thing I, I did pick this topic. Now, those are bags of pirate booty that I passed out. Now, now, hopefully you've had time to sanctify your minds after I gave my title, you know? Because I'm not J-Lo, I'm not... See, see, I knew you, I knew that's where you all were going, okay? Booty, that word has been around a long time before these contemporary uses. That word booty simply means valuable, stolen goods, especially those seized in war, something gained or won. And so the question that I have for you is, what do you value? What's valuable to you? What is valuable to you? 
And what I want to suggest to you is that what we should value is the same thing God values. God values people. In Matthew 6, 20, Jesus tells his disciples, store up your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Okay? What are you going to take to heaven? You can't take your car. You can't take your money. I've even seen pictures of people that were buried in their car with the money, probably only for grave diggers to come and get afterwards. I mean, if they raided the Egyptian pyramids, how difficult is it going to be for them to come get your stuff at a Mount Auburn or Cambridge Cemetery or wherever else that you're buried? People are the only thing that you can take to heaven. So I want to encourage you, invest in relationships. Build a network, build a community, build a family. Because families aren't just biological. I got one, two, three, okay. In John 3.16, he says, or the writer of John says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's what God valued. This story of Abram going out to rescue Lot is an Old Testament picture of what Jesus was coming to do. In the story that we, I just read to you, when Lot was taken away, and if you read the earlier chapters in Genesis, Everything was going well for Lot. Everything was going well for Abram. They had settled themselves. God had called them out of Ur, the Chaldees. They had settled themselves in this new land in Canaan. They had become wealthy beyond their imagination. It sort of reminds me of this church. We are living in or existing in a state where we are far beyond the dreams of those of us that, the few of us that were here in this church during the 80s or even earlier. 
we, 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 we have, we are so far beyond that. Most of you, when we tell how things were, you think we're making it up. And then all of a sudden, due to the politics of the land, Lot and all that he is and all that he's worth was swept away in a moment's notice. Lot had nothing to do with the skirmish. He just got swept away in it. The story we know tells us that a fugitive came knocking on Abram's door. And that fugitive told Abram, your nephew Lot has been taken away. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, when, as I've been going through life, whether I'm cognizant of it or not, there appears or, or, or there are times where I can see things that have, have happened around me happen because God wants me involved in a situation. And most of those times, I didn't raise my hand and say, ooh, pick me, pick me, pick me, pick me. Rather, rather not, I was, you know, probably trying to, like most of us, you know what? I don't need that kind of drama in my life. You know, uh, you know, so-and-so, you know what? If that's how they want to live their life, you know, I don't need that kind of drama. But yet we're called to intercede. And see, for most of us, when we think about interceding, we say, oh, well, you know what? Let me intercede for sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so, and let me, oh, Lord, help them. Lord, you know they need help. Send somebody. <laughs> send somebody, but don't send me. <laughs> but I think the scriptures has that reverse. It says, here am I. Send me. So, you know, I can take these off because I'm not reading right now. There are two types of people that need rescuing. And there may be more, but for the purposes of my sermon, there are two types. There are those, like Lot, that are in such dire situations, they don't care who comes, but they want somebody to come and rescue them. And then there are other people who may not even realize they need rescuing. Okay? Is it, anybody know anybody like that? 
I, I know somebody like that. I just have to look in the mirror. So let me say this, and I think I can say this because Bishop's not here today. And you all not gonna, you all not those kind of people, right? That are gonna run and tell? Okay, all right. So, as you know, I just came back from sabbatical. I did not want to go on sabbatical. Um, Bishop approached me late winter, I guess, and say, hey, you know what, I was planning on going on sabbatical this year, but then I realized I've got commitments that aren't gonna enable me to go on sabbatical. So, I think somebody needs to go on sabbatical. <laughs> and I said, okay, I'm with you. And then he begins to tell me that the body is me. And so I said, well, you know, that's a generous thought, but um, there's not really a whole lot of time for me to plan a sabbatical, blah, 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 blah. So I turned him down once. So then he approaches me again. And you know what? Uh, most of you may not know, but um, my uh, training and my prior, my college, the degree that I had was in engineering. So uh, throughout an engineering career, you never come up with one solution. You have a plan A, you have a plan B, you have a plan C, and usually plan A through C is usually more than sufficient, but I always like to have a plan D in the hip pocket just in case, or at least working on it, a draft. So I turned, in short, I turned Bishop down three times. And he came to me a fourth time. And I, and before I can get the words out, I think he said something along the line of, if I fire you. <laughs> oh, oh, you are laughing. I, I wasn't laughing. I wasn't laughing. And, and listen, I've known Bishop for, yeah, about 40 years. I can't even begin to tell you how angry I was with him. I mean, furious. But you know, as Christians, <laughs> we know all the right words to say, and, how to fix our face. Well, not so much as Christians, even just growing up in my parents' house. <laughs> fix your face. You want some more? Yeah, so. But then, in the off moments when I was not in his presence, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And then, what happened for me is this, is that, you know, after I finished ranting, well, who does he think he is? 
blah, 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 blah. And then the answer came to me as who he is. <laughs> He's a senior pastor. He's my supervisor, so yeah, he can fire me if he so chooses, if he so chooses. But beyond that, for longer than he's been that, he's been my friend. And I think the reason why I was so angry with him was because like Abram, he didn't go on this venture alone. He had a posse. And for those of you that don't know what a posse is, a posse is when something happens, they get a group of people, and usually you would see this in Western movies, at least in the United States, they, you know what, the bank has been robbed, and the sheriff, he gets together a posse, and they go riding after the villains, okay? And they're doing so with the power and the authority of the law. Bishop put together a posse. First team member on his posse. Well, your wife thinks it's a great idea. <laughs> You know, <laughs> and then he gets another person, a, a friend of ours, uh, Chris Nichols, and so, and then Chris, let's go out uh, for breakfast, Roy. <laughs> My treat. <laughs> but. In the end, I had to realize that even as someone who was an unwilling one that did not want to be rescued, did not feel like I needed to be rescued, it got to the point where I had to realize that a rescuing and concede that a rescuing needed to happen. Because the reality is that there was a slow erosion happening in me that sort of like that proverbial frog in the Petri dish. By the way, you know it's proverbial that it's not actually true, that you can't slowly turn up the temperature and boil the frog, and even if it were true, wow, how cruel would you want to be to do that? <laughs> but anyway, the erosion happened so slowly that I, I, I did not realize until I actually began the sabbatical by force. Um, I was thrown out. Um, matter of fact, um, uh, I won't name names, but there was actually, uh, at least I'm calling them self-appointed sabbatical polices. 
that started changing passwords on, um, <laughs> you know, to, to, to my church stuff. And, you know, I won't name names. Uh, Will I a Kofa? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and last week she said, I could start changing them back. I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let them still think I'm away. Um, but so there are those type, like myself. And then there are others that, like Lot, they need rescuing. On our way down to Honduras, there. Um, we land in the capital of Honduras, uh, a city called Tegucigalpa. And if you don't know anything about it, it's literally like landing in a bowl. Okay, so if you can think of an airplane coming in and it's gotta come in high and it's sort of drop down and stop on a relatively short runway because the city is surrounded by mountains, okay? And so we came in and I was sitting on the aisle seat and there were two people sitting to my left towards the window. The woman sitting in the middle, uh, as after I said, okay, we're making our final approach, uh, make sure your trays are blah, 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 your seat belts. And so we started coming in and the plane, we hit some turbulence. So the plane was basically coming in like this. It would go zoop, 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 zoop. It was like being on a roller coaster. So the children in front of me were doing woo, <laughs> The woman, Next to me, I thought she was gonna rip the seat in front of her out. She's holding on for dear life. And she's, and, and all of a sudden I could see tears starting to come out of her eyes. And so, at first you're like, you know what? Like, you know, we're gonna land. It'll be okay. Shoot, you know. I don't want to get involved. You know, in today's world, you know, do you really, as a male, do you really want to be touching another woman without consent? You know? And so finally, I just reached over and I grabbed her hand that was nearest to me. And I just whispered in the ear, nosotros estamos en los manos de Jesús. It was the best Spanish that I did the whole trip. Okay? Okay? And I'd been practicing. And I had, last millennium, I had many years of Spanish, but that was last millennium. She was so thankful that as she got off the plane, she 
um, went to the pilot. So you know how when you get off the plane, the pilot usually comes out the cabin is usually greeting the people as they're, and she's heading out in front of me, and she says to the pilot, you tried to kill me. <laughs> what were you thinking? And I mean, and she's up and down. Now, she's from Honduras. Um, I don't know, maybe because she does the trip a lot, I'm thinking maybe she knows the pilot, because there are very few pilots, I guess, that are qualified to fly into that boat. And she's fussing at him, and then she turns around and she says, you tried to kill me, but my new friend Roy, <laughs> and I'm like, I gotta fly this plane back. <laughs> you know, so, but my point is this, that there are situations that you're going to find yourself that you need to inject yourself into. Oftentimes, there are going to be times when you need to do that on your own, whether it's on your job, uh, whether it's in your neighborhood, it's in your family, or it's people in this pews. And you have to keep the eyes, your eyes open and see what is it that God is doing? What is the Father calling me to do in this moment so that I can be available, so I can be the one that goes and rescues someone? And the In that chapter, it said, Abraham gathered the trained men that were born in his house. And when I read that a couple of times, it, I thought about it. I said, they were very specific to say the trained men. And I said, and he said, they were 318 of them. Which means that he may have been able to take 350, but those other 32 weren't trained. You need to train, make sure that you're, you're trained. You, in other words, that you have been, you've been tried, that you've been tested, that you've been prepared for when God wants to use you, you're ready to be used. So I had, I had a slide about a posse and thank you media team. Go back, go back, go back. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. In, in this slide here, a posse actually comes from the Latin word that, that means you have power, you have ability to do something. And okay, you can go forward. And so 
to the picture. Okay, yeah. So during the men's summit, and this was three years ago in 2016, we would play, we'd have a field day in the afternoon, and this was part of my posse. Okay? It's, Irvin's in the house, right? Now, I, I, want, I want not the first Irvin, I want the formidable Irvin. Okay? So, so when you see, stand up. <laughs> when you see, when you see, when, when they talk about trained men, you want somebody, you want people that look like that <laughs> and act like that. Ah, you know, those are the people that you want willing to be riding with you or riding for you. Okay, people like Bishop who wasn't intimidated, at least I don't think he was, um, intimidated by whatever it is that he had to go through to achieve the end goal. That's what you want. That's what you want. It's funny, um, those twins that um, you saw in the first picture, um, I think it was them, they referred to Irvin as Gringo Grande. Because <laughs> he'd pick them up, and, you know, because their behavior, they, they behaved, they behaved, they behaved. It's the type of behavior. <laughs> it's the type of behavior. So, one of the things that I say, and this is pretty much where I'm gonna wrap up, is um, I've at least learned that some of the most important lessons of life I learned are they were illustrated by the games that we played as children. And in this case, um, I think about freeze tag. Did anybody ever play freeze tag when they were a child? Okay, yeah, okay, okay. So is, is, I, I'm seeing a lot of my vintage raising hands. Is it still a thing today? No, <laughs> Sean's saying no, no, no. Well, what freeze tag is, is, you know, whether there was, you know, maybe eight, 10 of you playing in the neighborhood, where freeze tag was is somebody was it. And so if, if, if I was chasing, I was it, and I was chasing, and I tagged Richard, then Richard had to freeze, okay? But the thing about freeze tag is that everybody else that wasn't frozen, like if, if, if Cameron wasn't frozen, he could, when I'm chasing somebody else, he could run over, tag Richard, and unfree him. And I say to, and I'm, I think to myself, this is, that's real life. That's real life. That's what we are called as followers of Christ to do. We've been, we're free. 
Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. So if I see my brother frozen, I could tag him and unfreeze him. If I see my sister frozen, I could tag her and unfreeze him. So the question still comes down to, in most, there are some times when you're called to do it in and of your own, like that instance for me on the airplane. There have been other times when I used to work in the corporate world where it may be, you may be called to do something to free somebody from the burden or whatever it is that they're experiencing. That was something that I did as an individual. But in many cases, you need a posse to do it. But unless you've created a network, who are you gonna call? And when you get in trouble, who's coming riding looking for you? And the thing is, you can't sit in your seat and wait for a posse to invite you in. The scripture said, those 318 men were born in Abram's house. He created those. You need to create a posse. And the thing is, for us as followers of Christ, Jesus did the big work for you. He's put you in a sea, in a network of other believers that you can gather together and become part of the posse. Our mission here at Pentecostal Tabernacle is restoring broken lives in a breath. And you can't do it alone. And the reality is, in that imagery of that story, Abram was riding off with those 318 men, but it wasn't just the 318 men. If you read further down, it were the men of Mamre. It were the men of Aner. It was the men of Eskol. All these people were his allies. But most importantly, he had the banner of the Lord going before him. Because if you're being called by God to do something, God's going before you. Everything that you need, everything that you're being called to do is being supplied or empowered by God. So let's not be the people that shrivel back like you're impotent. Stand up, be strong, be the powerful followers and disciples of Christ that you're called to be. See, when you look out on the news and that's, you know, there are all sorts of calls to save the world, okay? And 
And listen, I try to do my part. I try to recycle. I try to do whatever I can do in that, and, and be a good steward of this earth, this land that God has given us. But this land, these buildings, this is not going to save. The only thing that we can save in this world are people. Those are the only things that will have a possibility of surviving into eternity. So do your part. Do your part. Make yourself a part of a posse. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace, Lord, over our lives. Father, I thank you that you've thought enough of us, Lord, to invite us to be a part of your posse. Father, I'm asking, Lord, that you would help us, enable us, Lord, to be able to do all that you have called us to do. Father, there are some of us, Lord, that perhaps we find it challenging entering into relationships with others. And Father, you, Lord, be the bridge for them. You be the enabler, Father. May your Holy Spirit, Lord, overcome whatever personality issues that might encumber them from becoming a part of a network, becoming a part of a community, becoming part of a family, Lord. Help us, Lord, that we may be able to meet the challenge, Lord, that you have.